Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana, and my guest today is writer-director Phil Juano. Phil, how are you today? Doing great, Dana. Thanks so much for having me on. How are things? Everything going well? Good, good. Yeah, no, we're hanging in there, just taking it a day at a time. That's, you know, kind of my current philosophy. I, I suppose it should be all the time, but particularly in the era of COVID-19, you know, just just all you can do is a day at a time. You just don't know what's going to happen day to day, week to week, month to month. Um, but the good news is we're, my family and I are healthy and safe and uh, we're not yet falling apart. We may soon. <laughs> We may, may, may shortly could be could be tonight for all I know. This the whole I have three I have three young children, so it's been interesting with all the uh, distance learning going on. Um, but uh, I, I find myself uh, I should actually be on the um, distance learning podcast, not the uh, you know the, the Hollywood podcast, because uh, that's really much more my job these days than than anything associated with Hollywood. <laughs> teaching fifth grade, fourth grade, and first grade. It's kind of my it's kind of my new my new calling. I I, I suppose. So I, I I think it's safe to say that more than ever you're looking forward to the uh, the holiday break, if you will. Yes. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And and they only have one day uh, on on Monday. Typically Tuesday is grandparents' day, but we know grandparents can visit and all that. So so we yes, they will be. We will be. All of us will be off for for five days. So Perfect. that'll that'll be good. Perfect. Well. You know, you and I have, uh, we've been chatting over the years and, and just this year we've been texting back and forth quite frequently, you know, regarding the ever changing state of things in the entertainment industry, specifically talking about, you know, what's going on with movie theaters, what's going on with the, the studios and their, you know, decisions on what to release in theaters, what to hold back, what to put premium video on demand. But something happened last week that made me sort of jump into action, reach out to you and say, Phil... I need you on the show because I think this one is a game changer. And of course, I'm talking about Warner Brothers' decision to put the Wonder Woman 1984, the sequel to the massively successful Patty Jenkins-directed film, not only in theaters on December 25th, but also on its streaming platform, HBO Max. But the real kicker is without that $30 premium video on demand rental price that we've become accustomed to this year. So my first question to you is, of course, what are your thoughts on this move by Warner Brothers? And we'll just take it from there. <clears throat> yeah, well, you know, I, I don't really see how they had a choice. Um, I mean, okay, well, what what choice did they have besides this? They could have held on to the movie for, and I think this is what every company is facing, not just Warner Brothers at this time. Universal is going to face it with the new Fast and Furious movie at, at a certain point. You know, they immediately, as you recall, delayed virtually a year. I think they went from, you know, spring to spring. I don't want to say March, April to March, April. Maybe it's May. I don't know the exact date. I haven't looked it up for a while. But they jumped at a year, you know, as soon as COVID hit. And yet, you know, with with the way things are, it, it, I'm, you know, sad to say that it's just looking like this is going to be uh, as has uh, our, our new president-elect has said, you know, a, a long dark winter, and and I agree with that. It's it's it, like you just can't argue with the numbers. You just you know we can argue about this, that, and the other in this country, but you cannot argue with the numbers of of hospitalizations, deaths, and positive cases in the United States of America right now. I mean, so and they're going to grow. So what you're what are you faced with as a movie as a movie studio as a as a distributor? You look what happened with Tenet. I mean, you know, here's this movie that should have done 75, I don't know, $100 million its opening weekend, um, had an incredible trailer, 
it, it had all the buzz in the world. And, and I think it did, you know, somewhere around 10 in, in the domestic market. And, and it did better foreign because more theaters were open worldwide. But even, even so, we all know, I mean, it's, it's old news that it, that it didn't perform theatrically in the way even remotely uh, close to what it would have uh, had COVID-19 not come around. So I think when you look at Warner Brothers, there's just no, the theaters aren't going to be open come Christmas. They're not going to be uh, domestically. I don't even think it's looking very good worldwide anymore. You know, with the cases going up everywhere. I mean, there, there would be some territories. Um, I don't know the situation in China. I know they open them, they close them, they open them, they close them. That, that kind of goes back and forth. But you, you, and I know they're going to still do whatever territories they can. So we'll find out. We'll, we'll see what Wonder Woman can do foreign. Um, but domestically speaking, I think most of this conversation really is domestically speaking because we just, you, it's very hard. It's almost impossible to track what your opportunities are going forward uh, in terms of the worldwide marketplace. But domestically, th- that there's no, there's no way. So then you say, all right, well, where will it be in June? And do we want to wait till late May, early June? Uh, and, and what other films will be rushing to take those slots, those weekends, if late May, early June is uh, uh, available. But, but even if it is, you're, what, what are you going to have? 50% capacity at these theaters? Yeah. Um, and even if every single movie theater was open on June 1st, I think it'd be, I think it'd be uh, saying a lot you could have them half full uh, just by, you know, by, I don't think you could or would is my guess. So I, I think that they had, they had a, a thing where they could have, have released it um, on, you know, on HBO max and other uh, outlets. You know, they could have gone and you'd be a rental, you know, or a purchase on Apple and Amazon and all the other typical, you know, pay-per-view on your direct TV and all that kind of thing. But as we all know, right now, the trend is streaming. That's just that's the direction distribution is heading. Um, it's been accelerated by the by the coronavirus, and I, I think, and and from what I've read, they need more people to subscribe and view HBO Max. They their their viewership, their user numbers are low. A lot, a lot of people have access through it to it through their HBO. So if you have HBO, right, you have HBO Max. So if you're paying for HBO on your cable or satellite, technically speaking, you can access the HBO Max app and view the move all their movies that are available and all their sh- I mean it's all their content, you're kind of a double subscriber. You're a subscriber, you know, via the the cable channel or satellite channel also via the net. But for whatever reasons, and I just read this a couple of days ago, the numbers are really low of the people actually using HBO Max as opposed to just you know defaulting to HBO. So by driving content like Wonder Woman to HBO Max exclusively, they'll hopefully get those people that already have HBO to drive over to HBO Max log in, become, you know, official users, um, and which will raise their, you know, their subscriber rate, uh, and, and then, um, bring in new people that might not necessarily be subscribing, but it is surprising that they did not go 
the Disney route uh, of charging extra uh, like Disney did for Mulan, right? So Mulan was an extra, um, but but Hamilton was not, right? Hamilton you got on Disney, but Mulan, I believe, was a, an extra charge. $30, uh, yeah. Yeah. So they, they chose not to do that, which is interesting. I do not know this for a fact, but it leads me to believe that they call around, they go to lunch with their friends, they, they're all in the same business. It's a very, very small pool of people and they probably found out that you know there not as many people paid for mulan who were willing to wait and get mulan via the subscription to disney plus and you know none of us know the real numbers uh but they certainly didn't crow about it you know whereas they crowed about what happened with hamilton they went oh hamilton had incredible numbers and millions of people and 60 mil whatever it was but Mulan was like, yes, we had a successful release, and they left it at that. So um, I think that just getting eyeballs into your app right now is what they've decided, you know, is, is the only game in town uh, for any kind of mass distribution. And, and I just think, it's, you know, it didn't surprise me at all that they did it. I think more and more movies, as time goes on, will, will do it, too. Um, because what else? It, it's just not the the theatrical distribution pipeline is is not open and um, may not be for who knows how long. What are the? So that was my extremely long winded answer to that <laughs> yeah. question. I'm sorry. No, it's it's good. It's good. But but my question is, and this this begs. This begs, I think, a, a, a little bit of a discussion as far as what are the long-term consequences or repercussions for movie theaters, let's say, a year from now. And let's say that everything goes according to plan, that the the vaccines that they're rushing in development, let, let's just play, you know, let's just say it all works out. And a year from now, we're having this conversation in November of 2021, and things are back to relatively back to normal. I still wonder what the long-term consequences or repercussions will be when specifically, you know, companies that have streaming platforms, when they look at the amount of money that they make just releasing it on their own versus going through, like you said, the movie theater pipeline. I'm just wondering if you have any speculation about what potential long-term repercussions could be. It's a great question and so hard to know. Without a doubt, it shifted the studio's thinking. There's, there's, I think, virtually no chance they go, okay, we're all back to normal, moving on. You know, we're going to wait and dump our stuff to streaming, you know, after we've done all the theatrical, and then we'll do the, you know, whatever DVD means anymore these days. And, you know, we'll put it out there and you'll, you'll buy it for a week and then you can rent it and you can do this and that. Because, um, and, and the thing that tells me that is not just, you know, a guess, but it was Disney's most recent restructuring of, of how their studio is going to operate. And they really consolidated all of their entertainment divisions and pretty much said, and you can find the quotes out there, but pretty much said, we are now going to, on a kind of case by case basis, decide whether we release this, release our entertainment, you know, our filmed entertainment to Disney Plus or, and I believe it's what they called it, legacy, <laughs> you know, to, to, you know, legacy um, theatrical releasing. And 
you know, you start calling something, you know, a, a legacy division, <laughs> that doesn't bode well for for your uh, which you know for your, for for theatrical. And I think Disney being the number one studio, Disney having the biggest franchises, Disney having you know such incredibly deep pockets and pool of talent, um, and you know all those all the IP that they continue to mine and expand and exp- you know, I mean, it's it's. It's interesting, isn't it? Think about this for a minute. All the kind of, you know, they've had to fight their way uphill with Star Wars, right? They just have. And for whatever, again, we could we could do a whole podcast about why that might be. But they've had to fight their, fight their way. Yet they released The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. Baby Yoda through the roof, you know, a cultural icon, on and on. They've already done two seasons. It's driven the entire Disney Plus launch it, it, it's you know it wins awards it's, it gets nominations da, 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 da. Mandalorian is like the biggest ho- hit home run for the Star Wars franchise since Disney took it over. I mean it just is. Yes, they've made tons of money on you know the Star Wars sequels and and yes, there's been some great work done in there. But really, really, the thing that kind of where you got, where everyone went, wow, so cool, can't wait that, that it created buzz and talk rather than. Well, I think they should have done this, or I think they should have done that, or I don't think that's that they should have killed Han Solo, and that's not right that they, you know, put Carrie Fisher in after she passed away, etc. All that controversy, and then the spinoffs, the Han Solo spinoff, or you know, they 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 struck. It's just been just been a lot of nitpicky talk, chit chat about what's wrong with it, and even though a lot went right. I mean, certainly on a financial, I think in many ways creative, but. Mandalorian is just like a unadulterated smash, right? And it's fascinating that it's on Disney Plus, that it wasn't generated out of the theatrical experience. And I will, you'll never get me to say, oh, you know, watching it on, you know, on your home TV is the same as watching it in a movie theater. You know, I'm, I'm a filmmaker and, and there's nothing better than watching it watching film a, a film in a darkened theater the full crowd filled with anticipation like it just doesn't get better than that um in terms of in terms of watching a movie or probably even watching an episode of mandalorian right but if you're running those companies and you know disney and all the others you look at mandalorian you say wait a second you know th- 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 this worked and worked really well and they've got way more subscribers at disney plus than they ever dreamed they'd have in the first year way more i mean they exceeded their expectations i think they've more than doubled the expectations so i think they're going to look at on on a case-by-case basis of whether a film makes sense financially speaking to drive more subscribers to uh their streaming platforms and this will go for Warner Brothers slash HBO Max for Universal, you know, I guess slash Peacock is is their, you know, Comcast Peacock is 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 their platform. That's that's an interesting one. I'm not quite sure where Universal and Peacock are where that's all gonna end up. I don't I don't know. I think it's it's early days over there. But you you'll have um, you know, Paramount is is an interesting predicament you're the kind of part of viacom um i know they they had their cbs 
streaming channel. They try to do some movies for that. I don't know what, what Paramount and I don't know what Sony are are going to end up doing. And you've still got you know Lionsgate out there, but Disney and Warner's are are. And remember, Disney ate Fox, so uh, you're really talking. That's really three studios. And also, don't forget, Disney owns Hulu as well. So, um, you know, you've got these theatrical motion picture companies. They're going to have to really think long and hard about about where each project goes and what you know what they're going to how they're going to get the most out of each project not just in terms of the individual gross that project can bring them but the long term viewers the subscribers that 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 project might bring in you know to their streaming channel um whatever that might be and, and particularly given that I don't know, November 2021, do I think theaters will be back to 100%? No, I do not. No, I do not. I I think and hope that the vaccines, the various vaccines will be successful. They'll roll out. But to get any kind of um, headway against the coronavirus, as I've read it, you need to have more, half the country uh, has to be inoculated with the vaccine. Half the country. So- you know, you're talking about 160 million people and they have to, the current two vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna, you have to have two shots. The Johnson and Johnson one is one shot. There, there's other ones that are one shot, but they're not through the pipeline yet. We don't know what the side effects will be. We don't know how long immunity even lasts. They know that it creates enough antibodies to, to prevent uh, the virus prevent you from getting sick from the virus. At least that's what the research currently says for, for Moderna and Pfizer, but they still don't know how long that immunity lasts. It could be 30 days. It could be a year. We, so we'll find out about that. Um, there's obviously going to be a lot of controversy surrounding the vaccine. It's just the nature of our country right now. There's going to be people who don't even want to take it, even if it works. So, man, I don't know. It, it, you know, I, I just don't think movie houses are going to be full with lines going around the block on Friday night, like you had in, you know, summer and winter of 2019 in summer and winter of 2021. And therefore you shave off God knows what percentage we don't know of your theatrical. And this is the last point I'll make about this. People forget that depending upon the deal, the distributor has, the company that makes the movie sees 50% to 60% of the gross. So if your movie grosses a billion dollars, you see, say, 600 million of that. The rest goes to the theater owners. When you release something on your streaming platform, whether you charge for it or whether you just hope people subscribe, that is pure income with to you. You share it with no one. And... Um, so, and, and the marketing costs, I, I have yet to read a breakdown of what the difference is of launching something worldwide on, let's say, Netflix versus the cost of that. So what's the cost of launching The Crown on Netflix uh, versus launching, or, or, or even Game of Thrones on HBO versus launching Black Widow worldwide you know, the rule of thumb is that it's usually at least the budget again. So if Black Widow was a $200 million movie worldwide, you're, 
the rule of thumb is you're going to spend another 200 million. So now as a studio, you're into 400 million. If it grosses 800 million, you, if you saw half, you just break even at 400. If you saw 60%, I think Disney's deals are more long 60%, you know, you might see 50 to $60 million of profit. That's not, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but to a company like Disney, that's not what they're thinking. That's not where their heads are at. Let's make 50 million on an $800 million, you know, uh, gross. It's just not really the game. Um, and that's, you know, Wonder Woman will lose money. I've already, I've already read several articles where they admit Wonder Woman will lose money because they've already put the marketing money out there. They've already, you know, but had they from scratch known Wonder Woman, the sequel, was going to go to HBO Max, it's possibly a different movie. It's possibly, it's very much a different market marketing spend, for sure. And uh, and I think at that at that point in time, they'd also want you know HBO Max to be worldwide accessible, which it is not yet. So, but you know, it's it's a pure financial play if you release your movie in streaming versus the sharing. And if you're only getting you know seventy uh, percent or fifty percent of your theatrical potential because of COVID, then you split that again. So say you're getting 50%, you split it again, you're getting 25, 30% based upon your deal. Well, then you start saying, if we're only getting 30%, why don't we boost a subscription model where we get paid every month? I think, I think it has changed. Look, Disney has just announced it. Disney made it clear in their, their last, in their, in their, you know, they, they do these conference calls when they announce their earnings. And they made it very clear if you go and listen to or read, or you can even just look up, you know, the Disney conference call, they restructured it and they restructured it because their focus is Disney plus when it comes to filmed entertainment and, and to some degree Hulu, but it's Disney plus period. Let me ask you this question. When something is dedicated just to streaming, do the marketing costs go down? Do the P&A financing, does that all go down? Because if I'm Netflix, I'm Disney Plus, I'm able to advertise direct to the user via the platform. I mean, just, I mean, do marketing costs go down exponentially when you have something that's just going to go on the streaming services? It's really hard to find the numbers that will give you the answer to that question. First of all, they don't ever release firm marketing numbers on any individual film you know i'm sure you could go into these companies financials and look at you know marketing for their theatrical division um but it's usually based on kind of word of mouth rumor of what's what people spend and and you know one studio knows what they have to spend so they know the other studio has to spend that and um i know like even for i remember when i was working for blumhouse and you know this is gosh you know this is five years ago uh, there four years ago, they, back then you needed 35 million in the United States for just to get the public to know, just to know a low budget horror film was even out, you know? So this is just one of their run of the mill, not, um, this is like, wow, we want everyone to know for ev for everyone to know. And because it's such a specific group of people that go to horror films, they could target it. It had to be at least 75 to 80 million. Okay. So my movie costs $3.5 million to make. They needed to spend thirty-five dollars just to let the public know it existed. And they needed to spend seventy dollars to eighty dollars to get them excited to like rush out. I mean, that's 
crazy. So, you know, it, it was so we made it for Netflix. Because, boom, they made a profit the day it hit Netflix. Their deal with Netflix made that film profitable the day it aired. Versus, let's just say they went the whole hog and went 75 on it. Which, quite frankly, the firm, film didn't deserve that. I mean, we all we all worked our hardest, but it was never going to make the $150 million you need to make that back. No way. When they gave me those numbers, I even said, well, even the 35, frankly, I didn't think it could do 70 theatrical. It just wasn't that kind of movie. It's a slow burn mystery, sort of maybe scary, not that much. And and it's a moody film. It's not a rip roaring, you know, run through the woods for your life movie. And and no effects. No, that it was just, you know, a thing. So no way were we doing 70. So you really so it's it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game now more than ever before. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that the subscription model is the future of everything. It's everything. Everyone wants to be in the subscription game on, on, in all forms of entertainment. They'd much rather know they have your monthly payment than hope on a case-by-case basis you'll show up. Now, the reason that question popped in my mind, and that's a great answer, by the way, and but the reason that question popped in my mind is I'm going to cite two examples of marketing that was very effective on me, and that would be Amazon's acquisition of two movies, the first one being the Borat sequel. The trailer dropped, and it was out weeks after the trailer dropped. I mean, they didn't really hype this movie up at all. Also... I know for a fact that they've purchased the sequel to Coming to America. That's coming out in a few weeks. They haven't even dropped a trailer for that yet, but it's coming out in a few weeks. So so the question be like, they can't be spending a lot of money marketing these films, yet they know everyone's going to watch them because of the established IP that both of these films have. So I'm just, again, looking at it from a, from a dollars and cents point of view, like the, the marketing costs have to be in theory, exponentially lower for streaming services. Would you agree? Next week, you'll have an expert in marketing on your show who will refute (laughs) what I'm about to say and make me sound like a complete idiot. But there's just no way. I don't care what anybody tells you. Logic alone, you couldn't get away from that freaking Borat movie. Oh, my God. It was like Borat was living, you know, in my bedroom with me. He was everywhere. And God bless him. He's Borat. He's awesome. I love it. It It's hysterical. But... You couldn't be more right. They blasted that for a few weeks and boom, we watched it. Yep. Drove right on over to Amazon.com and watched that puppy on Prime for free. And I was like, oh my God, movies. I mean, Tom Hanks sold his last movie right to Apple. Boom. Just didn't even just didn't even argue it. It was like, I want my movie out. We made this movie. I like this movie. He produced the movie. He's like, boom, go to Apple. Who's kidding who? I'm not sitting on this until November of 2021 with my fingers crossed. And I knew that was out too. Because it's a point you've you've already raised, which is if you go to those platforms already, it's there. They're hitting you. They're hitting you. They're hitting you. You know, you click on Netflix, right? And up comes the trailer for whatever they're hammering you with, whether you like it or not. And then once you click other things that drives you, you know, if you click a comedy, Borat's going to pop up at the top and they're going to hit you with Borat. It, but, well, Borat, you know, Borat at Amazon, same thing. If you go to buy something at Amazon, 
Borat, 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 right? And we're all going to Amazon in this day and age. We were before and we are now more than ever. If you go to Apple, it's the same thing. If you have Apple TV and you go, it's the same thing. They're able, they're Netflix, Apple, and Amazon have a built-in marketing hub that costs them nothing. They already own it. By the way, I'm sure they charge themselves <laughs> for, <laughs> for advertising on their own site so they can write it off. But that, but you know what I'm saying? It all goes to the same pool of profit. And here's the thing about it too. When you really start looking at the streaming numbers, you know, it's like p- people forget like Disney's total revenue in 2019, this includes all the parks, everything Disney has was $69 billion. $69 billion in 2019. You know, whereas, uh, let's just see here, Apple was $260 billion in 2019. That was their revenue. So, you know, they, or you can go on, you can whip on over to Amazon and Amazon was, let me see, good old Amazon only did 280 billion. So, you know, um, it's really, it's it just in terms of, of hammering something at you, even if they, if they want to go crazy, they can. That's why these companies were in the game to spend 500 million to buy the Bond movie. It didn't end up going through. And, and that's mainly because, you know, Barbara Broccoli didn't want, didn't want it to happen. Um, and I think some other powerful players, but boy, I bet MGM was kind of, hmm, one in the hand is worth two in the bush right now. Um, you know, and Sony, Sony as well, but, uh, they back, they, they write rightfully. I think the streaming services rightfully backed out. They don't need the bond movie. Um, and, and so, yeah, the marketing costs are less there. I would be, I would guess half, half. Are you telling me they spent a hundred million to market Borat? No, no. That they're going to spend a hundred million on coming to America. And here was it so funny, Dana. Just this week, they announced the coming to America purchase. Right? I went online. I went straight to YouTube to see the trailer. You're right. Of course, you're right. There's no trailer. I was like, man, these guys. It just doesn't matter because it's so easy for me to find it later. Now, if coming to America the sequel was in movie theaters, I'd probably wait. I'd probably wait. Coming to America on streaming, on Amazon Prime, I will be clicking and I will be watching. And that's interesting because the the original Coming to America, which is comedy classic, that's a whole generation ago. So the marketing, I mean, you have to remember, let's go pre-COVID, what drives, you know, tickets at the theater? You know, teenagers, young adults. You know, that particular film, that's, that's like I said, that's a whole generation ago. I mean, I was young yeah. when that movie came out. The money you would have to spend to market that movie in a non-COVID world, I think, would be uh, well over $100 million, easily. 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 And what, are they, what did Amazon buy it for? $100 million, $120 million? I mean, the studio had to. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Because it, it, was, it was a generation I, ago, that movie. I think it, uh, I think it makes... Per, you know, perfect sense to go, to go, you know, to go streaming with it. And, and I, you know, it, because all the people that have nostalgic feelings for the original are at your disposal. 
you don't got to coax that generation back out of the house. And again, even like you say, even ignoring COVID. Um, and it becomes a really fun kind of comfort food film in the midst of a pandemic. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know what you're going to get. You know, there's going to be some laughs. It isn't like you're going out, taking someone to dinner, you know, going in, getting dressed up, paying the parking, paying the popcorn and code that it's sitting down and being like, oh, man, I hope it's as good as the original. And then if it isn't, you're bummed out. Whereas if this isn't as good as the original, you'll still be fine. You're like, it's coming to America, too, on Amazon. My expectation is the bar is lower. Yeah. I and just want to be entertained for the evening in my home and I can pause it if I'm not digging it and come back to it later. Don't forget one thing we haven't touched on with the fact that this movie is now going to Amazon is I can assure you, I don't know for a fact, but I feel reasonably confident that this movie got a green light under the guise of it better be PG 13. If it's going to be a theatrical release now that it's going to Amazon, you can make that R rated movie to your heart's Uh, desire. What a great, what a great point. What an absolutely great point because you're right. It's just, you know, that whole thing of, oh, you know, we can't get the kids in because of the 17 and over. Um, and par- oh, my gosh, it's just it's so funny how the I cannot tell you, you know, like I said, I have a fifth grader and I can't tell you how many parents don't care that their fifth grade kids are watching R-rated movies. They don't care. They they're like, oh, yeah, you know, so say my friends got to see, you know, I don't know. Um I don't even know uh, what, because we obviously my kids don't, <laughs> not even close. There are these parents; these parents don't care if their kids are watching R-rated movies. So your point is so well taken. It, it's like it's it's open to everybody right away. You're not playing the PG-13 R-rated game, which I I had not. That that is such a great point. I hadn't even considered, particularly with comedy. Yeah. You know where where it really does um, hedge your comedic bets, so to speak, when you have to be PG-13, whereas at R. You can you can go crazy, and uh, yeah, I mean, just look at like look up these stand up look at these stand up shows on Netflix. They say and do whatever they want, and uh, uh, all the languages are, and it's fine. You don't even hear anything about it. No one even talks about it. Like, oh my god, we're exposing our kids to this stuff. It's just there. It's a part of it. Um, you know, look, I expose, you know, we're in, in the world of the internet with one click, they can pretty much see anything they want these days, right? So, I mean, that's kind of the gloves, gloves have been off on that front for a while. So, um, but that is a great point. And, and uh, it's, it's, I just, you know, to me, I, here's what I, if I had to, my overview of all of this would be, but this has been a long time coming. I am no oracle to make that statement, but this has been a long time coming. We all know that. Uh, people who are in, in the movie industry, are loath to give up, you know, their theatrical experience for all the, again, all the obvious reasons. Uh, and it's exclusive. It's, it's unique. It's, you know, totally controlled. Uh, you, you, you know, hopefully you can create kind of a cultural moment. If you have something, whereas it is true that you hit streaming, you're in there for a week or two and that moment's gone. Right. I mean, you peak like the Borat moment, it's come and gone. Right. Yep. Like there it was around the election and all the comedy associated with that. And, you know, him trying to get the whole story is him trying to get to Trump. Right. So but it's come and gone. Like everyone for two weeks talked about Borat, whereas you and I both know that then a big theatrical hit, it felt like it stuck around. But that's not very true anymore. 
you know, streaming has stolen a ton of that thunder. Uh, and I actually think the the show for me that really changed the game in terms of kind of a cultural touchstone, you know, it was cultural touchstone, you know, in the modern era, Jaws, oh my gosh, and then Star Wars, oh my gosh, you know, you can jump way forward, The Matrix, oh my gosh, you know, the Jurassic Park, oh, uh, it, right? There were these, these like, oh my God, Titanic, right? Whatever your opinion of Titanic, it was a cultural touchstone. There's no two ways about it. Um, Avatar, that's you could say that too if you want. Um, I think less so than the others, but still, a lot of talk, right? CG characters, all that worldwide, the highest gross movie, and then, and then I wouldn't even say there's an individual film. I would say Iron Man kicked it off, but then the Marvel Universe, Game of Thrones changed it all. Game of Thrones on HBO uh, was as huge in terms of you know, podcasts and shows and articles and debates. I mean, have you ever, that last season, have you ever seen a, a bigger outcry of, over storytelling and directorial choices? It was too dark. I couldn't see. I mean, oh my God, there's like weeks of argument over whether the battle scene was too freaking dark. I mean, no movie, no movie has ever created that kind of discussion over the stylistic choice of lighting and final transfer of a DP's work ever. Ever. I guess some people couldn't understand what Bane said. That would be like the last time everyone was upset about some technical choice. You know, everyone talks about now, you know, Nolan, you couldn't understand Tenet, but that didn't even become a thing because no Nobody one was able that. to get to see Tenet, <laughs> right? It would have been more, yeah. but it wasn't because it didn't. So there's just no way. I could not believe. And it was earned, right? You know, they'd done their eight, whatever many seasons, eight, I watched them all. It's insane, right? What they achieved. Um, and and it, had, it looked like a big, giant theatrical movie. It just did. It looked like it. It felt like it could have been in the theater. Never, ever, ever could have been. Can you imagine like adapting those books even into a trilogy? Forget it. Forget it. And it changed the landscape, I think, of how people who finance entertainment looked at what you could do and, and the impact you could have. Um, I mean, just look at the deals they've thrown at those creators. They're going to do that big, you know, Chinese sci-fi story for, for Netflix. Um, they offered them a star Wars movie and they passed, they passed on it. it. And that is, come on. If that isn't, I always, I have a, I have a thing that I, I always relate to people. I, and forgive me if I've already told you the story, but it's a great scene in The Godfather 2. And Michael is going over to Cuba to think about, you know, the whole casino thing and making the deal with Hyman Roth. And he's stuck in traffic one day and the cops stop him, right? He's on that street in the hill and they're looking and there's a cops have stopped some guy down below and they're kind of frisking him and there's some sort of commotion going on. And he watches as a guy dies into the cop car and blows himself up and blows up the cop car. And in that moment, Michael knows there's no deal. There's no deal in Cuba because it's going to fall apart. It's the canary in the coal mine. That moment on Michael's face, he goes, uh, 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 this place is unstable. If people are willing to do that, it's over. If those two guys are willing to walk away from Star Wars, it's over. Not for Star Wars, but I'm just saying 
they're they are the tip of the you know cultural phenomenon spear if you will and they're like no we'll go to netflix and we'll take this book and we'll make it as long and as big and as huge as we you know and they'll just leave us alone there won't be big story meetings with 20 people talking about where star wars should go we'll get to do our own thing and to me that's the moment in godfather too that's like sorry but and let alone all the TV deals they've made, you know, with the Shonda Rhimes of the world, et cetera. You know, it's it's like, I'm sorry, but this whole thing is going to streaming. It just is. Will there be theatricals? As we said many years ago, of course, just like Broadway will still have their big, giant Hamiltons. They'll still have their, you know, very old reference. They'll have their cats. Oh, isn't it funny? It finally became a movie just, just this last year. Um but, it, you know, they'll have their Phantom of the Operas. They'll have their, you know, they'll have their big events. They'll, they'll have the Book of Mormon. They'll have the equivalent of that for movie theaters. I think those will be the Marvel films and those will be the Star Wars films. But you know what? Would it shock you if in five years the next Star Wars trilogy debuted on Disney Plus? Not at and all. And theatrical? Not at all. So you want to go see it in a theater? Go right ahead. But it's marketed as a streaming, and if you have Disney Plus, you get to see it with subscription. Imagine, and imagine if they didn't do theatrical. Imagine if they were like, "Nope." There, if you want to see the next two, the only place you can see it, ladies and gentlemen, is Disney Plus. There is recorded evidence of you saying this five years ago. Just go to the Dana Buckler Show, my podcast. <laughs> Scroll down to Phil Juano, way back late. <laughs> don't, late. don't do it. <laughs> well, for Dana's sake, do it, but not. not. Back in back in uh, December of 2015, when uh, when we were talking about your movie, The Veil, you know, you were, you you predicted this. You predicted this, and you're saying five years from now, and it's, I I, I mean, it's. I think it's a reality. I think it's more like three now. I think I think the day that Disney shocks the world and just says our next round of Marvel. You know, they're going to make new deals with all kinds of actors. They're going to do, you know, there's a whole, it's this round is coming to an end. Um, we know where Black Widow's going to end up, right? Yeah. We know, we already know all these movies can't wait a year. They just can't. I mean, you know, the guys at Peacock every single day are telling Universal, theatrical, give us Fast and Furious, give us Fast and the Furious, give us Fast and the Furious. They go, well, we'll we will lose $200 million. 10 years from now, that doesn't matter. You know, Comcast can take that hit. And and they did they stopped their marketing too. So they, unlike these other movies that, you know, like the Bond movie and Tenet, they started their marketing. And 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 uh Wonder Woman, they started their marketing. So I was just looking while we were talking, you know, they they were saying that Tenet needed to make eight hundred million dollars worldwide to break even, to break even, kind of our math. 200, 200, 400, 800, 400. They were doing the exact same number in a couple of articles I just scanned while we were chatting. And you know, so you say to yourself, there's just, if, if, if for a year, even with vaccines, you still can't achieve 800, you're losing money anyway. And if, and if the, the board of directors and the CEO, the chairman of your company, a la Disney now I'm talking about, let alone AT&T, um, are saying, we have got to compete with Netflix. We have got to compete with Apple. We have got to compete with Amazon. And they have those deep, deep pockets, particularly at, at Amazon and Apple. Netflix borrows their way into deep pockets, which is a whole nother conversation about their financials. But you, you know, but it's working. But they they spend 
you know, based, they, they deficit finance. So their, their work. But anyway, I just can't imagine that, that it's just, and the other thing is too, is that we're breaking down the barriers of filmmakers being against it. So David Fincher has got to be one of the premier stylists, if not, you know, the premier serious filmmaking stylists in the world, you know, in America today, right? He's got to be one of them. There's, you know, there's a raw too. Um, there, there's a handful, you know, there, there's Paul Thomas Anderson, et cetera. I mean, but there's a handful of them, but where, where's his, where's his movie getting released? Where's, where's Mank getting released? Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Who financed it? Netflix. Does it look like they, you know, unfortunately they went a little cheap on that movie? No. <laughs> it's like, and he came out in the New York Times this just last, this Friday saying it was the best experience he's ever had in his career working for Netflix. You know, and as, as you know, you know, he launched House of Cards. He launched the Manhunter series. He, you know, it's like that guy gets it. And yeah, they're going to put it out in, in some theaters. It's going to be, you know, and in COVID, it would have been more. I assume more. But I don't think he's at Netflix because of COVID. He didn't make this decision to make Mank a year ago. They finished filming before COVID hit. They wrapped before COVID hit. I have friends that worked on it. And so it wasn't a COVID decision to make that movie for Netflix because, oh, no, there wouldn't be a theatrical. It's like, that's the best place to work. Sure. You can see in a theater, you would have been able to, you know, without COVID, and you'll be able to in some places, maybe. I mean, we'll see what the restrictions are. But the point is, is that, I don't know, maybe theatrical will be more like um, the diehards in each city will get their shot. And so there'll be a handful of theaters in each city that if you're just like, I got to see it, like, I'm going to see Mank on the big screen. You can. And for those of us with three kids that scream and yell as you go out the door, because they're spoiled little brats. Sorry. That's, sorry. Lost it there for a second. Sorry. Excuse me. It's been a long time. <clears throat> you can watch it on Netflix, you know, once they go to bed. And and my TV, my setup, my sound system, man, I got Atmos at my You know what I mean? It's just that I didn't have to spend a gazillion dollars to get it. And at all. At all. So it's just, it's available now at a really reasonable price to create a, a, a really, really terrific home experience without you know digging out your basement and creating a theater so i don't know i just think that if filmmakers are willing to go there and actors are willing to go there and clearly they are huge stars just you just name them all they're all willing to go to streaming they don't care or at least they don't mind um and and the filmmakers willing to go there i think it makes the theatrical releases a, a much more kind of exclusive date night experience for people and or cineasts, you know, for people who really, you know, almost like revival theaters used to be, you know, we, oh, Casablanca's come to the revival theater. I got to see it because, you know, you just love movie, movies in the movie theater. And we'll figure out over time how, what percentage of the movie going population that is. I think the water will find its own level. And I think we'll, we'll find like how many theaters that means. Circle back to something you said about Netflix. Is Netflix like Orion was in the eighties, as far as filmmaker friendly, is that kind of the, 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 a good analogy? Yeah, it is. I mean, that's where I got to make state of grace. That's where I got to make, you know, the only film I had no interference on in my entire career was state of grace. They let me do for better, for worse, whatever I wanted to do, casting, shooting, script, cut, you know? And I said, Oh, I'd like to go try to get Ennio Morricone, you know, in, in, in Italy to score it. They're like, okay. And I was like, well, he's expensive. Well, he's slow. Well, he's there, whatever it was, whatever their complaints was. And, and uh, 
they direct, great, good, go. See if you can get them. And we did. There wasn't it, even a question. Um, so, yeah, I do. I think I think that's for sure who they are. Uh, and maybe even better, you know, because because Orion still was like a boutique. Netflix is not a boutique. Netflix is a factory. They are right. They're pumping out stuff. I don't even know how anyone is even paying attention. I kind of wonder if like people on Netflix see it when it's released. Oh, look. Oh, that turned out pretty good. I didn't realize I clicked on it last night. It's pretty good. It worked out. I mean, I don't know. How could there be even be a team of people keeping track of all that stuff? So. You know, and I've heard it's really hands off that that if you if you get their green light and the number is approved, you go make it. So anyway, yeah, I mean, and I think that's the model. You know, volume meets freedom uh, is going to be really attractive to any visual storyteller. You know, and and the fact that you're not limited, like you were saying, to a rating, you're not limited to time. Because oh, yeah. Scorsese gets to release his yeah. three and a half hour movie. It's like fine. No problem. That's a problem theatrically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I forgot to mention a guy named Martin Scorsese. His last film was Netflix. It was that guy. His next film is Apple. His next film is Apple. When Martin Scorsese's on Netflix and Apple, when David Fincher's on Netflix, you know, and now we're like going, oh my gosh, Wonder Woman's going to HBO. I think the writing's been on the wall for a while. So when does Steven go to Netflix? That's what I want to know. Never. <laughs> Never. <laughs> no. That guy shoots on film. That guy is diehard to the end. He will be like crawling, you know, through broken glass and hot coals to make it to the theatrical. And that's great. You know, and boy, if there's ever any filmmaker on earth that deserved it, he'll be theatrical for as long. Because people, you know, Steve is a commercial filmmaker. You know, I, I remember when I got to work with him, he was like, you have to make movies that make not just make money back, that make a profit, or you don't get to make movies. He said my goal on every film is not only to make my money companies the company's money back, but to make a profit and a big one. So going in, you know, he's not kind of making something like, yeah, you know, the beheading scene might have been a little much for the audience, Stephen. Like that's not the kind of movies he makes. You know, he makes Ready Player One to be a hit. He's going to make West Side Story to be a hit. He's not, he's not. So, but when you make a three and a half hour, you know, gangster epic that has, you know, the pace that Scorsese preferred for that particular film, you know, theatrically, that would have been tough. That would have been tough. Whereas for Netflix, it was nothing but great. Nothing but great for them. And, and you know, maybe it'll come a point when Aratu goes, hey man, if they'll give me 150 million to go out with, you know, Leo and make, make another revenant and no one's going to say anything about time and money, then he'll do it too. But Steven, no, because Steven is really truly a unique entity when it comes to audience driven filmmaking. There really is virtually no one like him. I mean, Cameron's back now. So, you know, Avatar, they'll, they'll try to, you know, they'll, they'll leverage that worldwide theatrically, assuming it's the all clear, uh, by the time it comes out, which I think is 2022, I yeah. want to say. Yeah, it's been pushed so, a couple times. Yeah. So, you know, he's going to fight for that. And because of what they did grosses. But again, the marketing costs, you just got to start saying. So, but over time, what I'm actually, another thing that I'm really curious about is I'm curious about, okay, so this round of Marvel films ends, you know, kind of comes to its, this, this Marvel trajectory kind of fulfills its destiny. 
And they're now starting to gear up for whatever their next 10 year plan is. Um, you know, you're spending 200 to 250 million average making those movies. If you're Disney and you know, deep down in your heart, you're going to take those films to Disney plus four or five years from now, whatever point the tipping point is for them. Just like, this is it. Yeah. We'll do some simultaneous theatrical, but not like we would have. Um, do they stop spending 200 million on the movie from the get go? Yeah. Do they say, cause we all know like the, you know, the budget to the Mandalorian isn't the same budget they use on a star Wars. But it sure doesn't seem to be bothering anybody. No. <laughs> you know, they came up with this whole unique technology. I don't know if your audience has seen this, but you can find it online where they have this giant LED screen where they project the backgrounds of their locations rather than shooting everyone on green screen so they can shoot it in camera. No kidding. And, I, I didn't know that. I... Oh, yeah. You go online and you put, um, you know, you just just go on Google and, and you look up, you know, Mandalorian uh, giant screen shooting technique or LED screen shooting technique. And you will see you will. It's a gigantic stage with the biggest LED, you know, screen you would see like at a football stadium and projected in, you know, 4K or 8K, even some huge resolution are all the backgrounds. So instead of shooting them in green screen and then putting in the planet behind them, it's already there. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's a virtual so set. Camera, it's a virtual set. Exactly. And here's the best part. It moves in parallax to the camera. <laughs> so when the camera tracks left to right, if you've got rocks or structures in the foreground, they move in correct parallax to how the camera moves. So it tracks perfectly the movement of a handheld camera. That is incredible. Yeah. And that's how they shoot that quickly and efficiently. They don't have to do all that compositing. That's incredible. Yeah. So they're, so already they're thinking of how can we get theatrical, you know, quality on a, on a expensive TV ish budget. So, you know, you get 10 hours of programming for the same cost as two hours of a Star Wars movie. Yeah, so I just think, you know, I think a year from now, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to match the theatrical experience for big films. Two years from now is the bigger question. Summer 2022. Will we be back? Will it just be like, yep, movies are movies, and, you know, Netflix and Apple, and they make their own stuff, and but, you know, Warner's and Disney and Paramount and Sony and uh, all make their own stuff, and throw it out there, you know, 3000 screens, 4000 screens, and we're all back to where we were. And then it eventually goes to their streaming um, to support subscriptions. I don't know. That brings I don't it. Know. I, I think it's, it's, I don't know. I feel like the cat is out of the bag. If you ask me, that brings us full circle to the question I asked a bit sort of at the beginning is what are the long-term consequences and repercussions of of this whole situation uh phil before we get before we wrap things up here uh one other movie that caught my eye that is getting a i i love the marketing where it says uh in theaters and video on demand and i keep saying it's not in theaters around here that's not going to happen but it is 30 years later francis Ford coppola is doing a complete re-edit of the godfather part three yes and it's called yep. the death of michael corleone which uh, yes. 
Can you speak to what you know about this project? Because from what I understand, that's what his original plan was when he was making this film, but he was kind of strong-armed into calling it The Godfather Part 3, even though he said Parts 1 and 2 told a complete story. What do you know about this film, and are you looking forward to it? Oh, well, I look forward to anything Francis Coppola does. I don't care if it's his greatest film or not. Um, I, to me, he is truly like the Michelangelo of cinema. I just think that he's one of the greatest filmmakers to ever direct, write and direct features. And, uh, you know, he was one of the, you know, two or three filmmakers that, that inspired me to become a director. I don't think Apocalypse Now will ever be surpassed as, you know, in terms of epic in-camera execution. All I have to say is right now, I promise you, Ride of the Valkyries will never be filmed in camera. That sequence will ever be filmed in camera like that again. All those helicopters will be CG and every actor will be shot on green screen. So, you know, as they flew around and explosions and smoke would be fake. I mean, it just, it's, it's, you watch that film now, it's inconceivable how he pulled that off and the risks he took making it, let alone the Godfathers and the conversation and on and on and on. So I can't wait to see what he does with the death of Michael Corleone. And I know for a fact that he was in financial, I mean, it's just, you can read this anywhere. This is not scuttlebutt. He was in, you know, a financial, financial straits at the time and Paramount took on a lot of his debt and, and waived, you know, all these, uh, you know, got rid of all the, these issues, financial issues that he was facing if he would make Godfather three. So it was a movie he didn't really want to make at the time. He kind of had to make it. It was an opportunity, you know, uh, they made him an offer he couldn't refuse. <laughs> just to throw that in Perfect. there, I had to do it. Or just when I was out, they pulled me back in. There you go. That's and I uh, had to like, go for the twofer. But I think that I think that was kind of him. I think if I could sit down with France, I'd say, just when they pull, thought I was out, they pulled me back in. That's you, right? That's that's You're talking about you. He'd say, ah, and I think I, I'm sure that's been written about a thousand times before I just said it. But so it was, it was kind of gun to his head to make it. And then a lot of crazy stuff happened, as we all know. You know, Winona Ryder quit, and he put his daughter in instead. And I think the shoot was, you know, uh, Robert Duvall wouldn't come back, and 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 because they wouldn't pay him, it was a, it was a money thing. He, he felt, you know, he was going to be a big part of it, and, and uh, you know, it's you know, George Hamilton replaced Robert Duvall. I don't think that's kind of apples to apples. No offense to George, but just I don't think he'd argue that either. Um, and and so. It'll be really interesting now to see how he's able to work around. You can't suddenly put Duvall in the movie, um, but it'll be really interesting to see how he reworks it. And and I I just can't wait, you know. And I'm not, by the way, I and what's interesting, I'm not even saying it'll be better or worse. I prefer the original Apocalypse Now. You know, there's been two versions since, and Redux, and then and then the one he just did, which was like the definitive cut. I still prefer the original original Apocalypse Now. I think that was his best cut. He would disagree with me, obviously, because he just released what he said was a definitive cut. But I love to see, watch him tinker. It's fun. It's You get to see, you know, how he's evolved and how his thinking's evolved. Oh, my God, I can't wait. I hope they, you know, obviously he wouldn't do it if they weren't going to let him do it right this time. Um, you know, Gordon Willis shot it. Dean Tavalaris designed it. It's an incredible cast. It's fun. You know, uh, it, it's it's really, I can't wait. And I, and I, I can't wait just because, I wish Francis was still making a movie every two years. You know, I wish he was still pumping out, um, 
Yeah, there's there's this giant uh, uh, story. I think it's called Megalopolis. At one point, that he's talking about getting the financing to do, and that's been kicking around for like twenty years, and he can never get it off the ground. Get, get off the ground because of, of finances. But who knows? Maybe a Netflix or an Amazon or an Apple will will finally let him do that. And I would love to see that happen. Um, but I'm thrilled that he's going to take another shot at it because he is he's. I, I don't, you know, I know he's got the vineyard and I know his kids all are filmmakers now. And it's like the God, I wish Francis was still shooting. I really do. Yeah, no, I agree. I am, uh, I, I consider myself to be a Godfather three, uh, apologist. I, I really do yeah. like that film quite a bit. I, I oh, mean, it's and people forget Andy Garcia was incredible, incredible in it. Incredible. I mean, it, there's a lot of really cool stuff in it. It just, is it? you know, a hundred percent pure classic that the first two were no, but, but it's still got a lot to offer. So I'm very interested to see how he can. And I think people will be much more forgiving of his daughter of Sophia. in this one now based upon back then it looked like nepotism and silliness. And, and now her carving out her own place artistically, it's kind of like, well, now wait a second, maybe we need to revisit our unfair reaction to her being in the film. And I remember seeing it. Now I saw it in the theater opening night, it came out and i remember not being as bothered by her that everybody else was like oh Sophia Coppola. i was like i kind of i she i didn't think she was and by the way she's proven to be a very compelling woman so she's not you know uh, uh what they said yeah. as a woman or and, you know, okay she didn't turn out to be meryl streep but that fine the role didn't need to be meryl streep so i i uh i'm really curious to see what my reaction will be i cannot wait go francis nail it do something great with it um i couldn't be rooting for him more Perfect. Perfect. And I agree. And on that note, Phil, thank you so much for being on the show. Dana, I always love it. I apologize for my long, 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 too long answers. Please edit me down so I don't sound like a complete <laughs> And uh, I, I look forward to our next chat. And I really look forward to 2022. So you and I will be talking May, June. We'll announce earlier than that. But we'll talk in early 2022 when the release schedule for Disney and Warner's and Universal comes out, and we'll see what happens. Absolutely. To be continued. Absolutely. <laughs> and my name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening.